This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley and Food Week continues right here on the podcast. Coming up today, uh, I've been to a supermarket. I went down to Iceland with the boss of Iceland, Richard Walker. Tried my hands at stacking some shelves and went on the tills. But also he told me a lot about what he's trying to do, literally giving up profits to try and uh, help customers not starve uh, during this extraordinary cost of living crisis. Really, really interesting chat with Richard coming up in just a moment. First, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel and on a Thursday, it's Night at the Marriott. It's India Night and James Marriott. The columnists with Night at the Marriott, India Night and James Marriott on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time of the morning to speak to two of our favourite columnists. James Marriott's in the studio. Morning, James. Good morning. India Knights beaming in from outer space. Morning, India. Good morning. And uh, there's a third person in this marriage. Stig Abel is here again. Hello. And he can't keep away. I heard there was some free food available. Hey. Yeah, so well, if somebody's pointed out, somebody says to Ian, uh, Rosie says, I thought Stig didn't like food. I he, don't, he tried I, to make him more human. And he had the prospect of some reheated nonsense in my kitchen and he can't, can't keep away. I know. I'm most disappointed that you retweet praise. No, I don't retweet, I, le- I read it out. That's just as bad, it's worse, I think. James, I thought you p- p- control him. I, I retweet praise. No, I, I, don't, I, I, no, no I don't like to. I don't like, I don't like to read it out. I'm not Steve, Steve Wright. And yet you've just done it twice in as many seconds. Oh, no, yeah. Anyway, so the reason you're here is because Food Week continues. My uh, cooking like a prime minister. Here we go. Uh, so we've got it in the studio, but let's, but let's take a listen first of all. This is what happened. Uh, this is David Cameron's spicy sausage pasta. That's how I got on. Day four of cooking like a prime minister, and we're doing David Cameron's Italian sausage meat pasta with some changes because I couldn't get any Italian sausage. Chop a couple of red onions. And a handful of rosemary. This is rosemary from Algarve. And a seeded and diced red chili. So David Cameron's recipe says six spicy Italian sausages, but they didn't have any in the supermarket, so I've got six normal sausages, which I'll put some paprika in in a minute. And then the recipe says, add the meat squeezed from six spicy Italian sausages. Which means, I mean, David Cameron's a man who knows his way around a pig, which means squeezing the sausage meat out of the sausage and into a bowl. 
while thinking about David Cameron. Paprika, bit of cayenne pepper. Now we've got David Cameron's especially Italian sausage. All right, now we've got to add the spicy sausage, chili and rosemary. One version of this recipe says add a splash of red wine. Another one says add a lot of red wine. So. That feels like a sort of David Cameron amount of red wine. Now with the wine sort of reduced down a bit, I'm adding in two tins of plum tomatoes. Put some pasta, preferably penne, Cameron said. And add the sauce for the pasta, some double cream. And that is David Cameron's Italian sausage meat pasta. With a little bit of cheese on top. So we bought, I bought it in, I bought it in, it's been heated up. James, you've got it there. Yeah. Are you going to dive in first? Yeah, I, de I definitely am. Go on then. Um, I should say that I've had this before. What, what I was, I was what, served this. Right at Dave and Sam Cams? Uh, not, not, not directly from David Cameron, but I was once served this by Charlotte Ivers. So I'll not only be judging the pasta, but I'll be judging your and Charlotte Ivers' relative wow. cooking skills. I don't know how much of a competition that is. Well, do, you, do you think that Char Charlotte probably lives in the sort of area where you can easily get your hands on an Enduja sausage? She lives in London Bridge, where yeah. we are. Where we are, yeah. I yeah, think you probably can get an Enduja so, sausage around get, here. Okay. She'll get a Borough Market Enduja sausage. Yeah, of course. That'll would. be the one. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a bit troubled by the cream. Well, that's what he, I just followed the recipe. That feels weird, don't you think? Red wine, tomato, and sausage and cream. Cream, yeah, but it's, it, oh, it's yeah. Here he goes. James is in. That is really nice. There we are. I mean, I knew it. It looks delicious. Go on then. Pass sausage it over. Pa you can't really go wrong. It, basically, it's all. It's everything that you want. It's sausage. It's pasta. It's tomato wine. Cream, cream. I'm very cheese. pro cream in cream in, right, here in go. pasta. Here we are. Here we go, stick. I think you need to season more, Matt. Season I, more. I felt that the Gordon Brown turnipy <laughs> bibble or whatever you had needed <laughs> <laughs> yesterday. The bumblebee thumps. The incredibly bland, worthy yeah. Puritan thing. I have seasoned that. No, it's nice though. Is Delicious. It? There we are. I'd love that for my one meal. Oh, then I was. Like, I'm sorry about this, India. I feel like. Do you like? So I put some in a jiffy bag and post it there. <laughs> I am slightly missing out, but not that much because I make it myself actually without the cream and with um, ah. fennel seeds. It's everybody. Mm. Fennel seeds. That's fennel good. Hood. That's good, oh. India. That's the India <laughs> night touch, I think. Yeah, that's, a, that's that's the difference between the Times and the Sunday Times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually really good. It is good. It's really nice. Yeah. Really nice. It's that kind of pasta where you can just like shovel it into your face oh, for ages that's, and that's ages the, and that's ages. The joy of pasta. Isn't well, it? Yeah. Oh, James, you're a bit more that. Yeah, I better go. Let you do your. Oh yeah, I forgot you're not staying for the Columnist whole Columnist musings. You're just coming for the food. <laughs> I'm just here for the food, then I leave. Bye -bye. That, does that count as your one meal today? N yeah, not enough. Not enough. It should count as James's by the look of it. Yeah. Um. It's, you might just have to do the next 10 minutes, India, because this, <laughs> this is absolutely delicious. <laughs> but, but what are we supposed to be talking about? Is it vegans? Are we talking about vegans? Yes. Veganism and being woke. Woke. Can you be both? Is that right? India. Are yes. You, are you a vegan? No, <laughs> no, I'm not a vegan. Um, but I'm vegan. I have vegan sympathies. You know, I completely understand why. You're vegan <laughs> curious. I'm vegan curious. I'm vegan adjacent. One of my children, <laughs> one of my children was vegan, but he stopped because it was too difficult and quite expensive. And of course, the problem 
I think being vegan, if you're sort of properly vegan and you make your own food is one thing. I think if you buy ready-made vegan substitutes for things like Italian pork sausages, then it's um, ultra high processed and it's not actually very good for you and quite expensive. So I think like old school 1970s socks and sandals, lentilsy veganism is terrific. I think just eating meat substitutes that have been made in, you know, made with all sorts of really dodgy processes and dodgy ingredients is not so great. And also, I wonder about veganism. You know, I think these things are all sort of sometimes feel quite like luxuries. And I think with the cost of living crisis, I think people just want to eat what they can afford. Yeah. And I don't know that that's necessarily really expensive fake meat burgers. Well, the, uh, the, the, there's nothing more appalling, James, than uh, fake bacon. Discuss. No, I love I love all that stuff. I oh. prefer. Oh no! I think it's because I was raised I was raised a vegetarian, and so early in my life I got this like weird thing where I prefer vegetarian sausages to real sausages, and I can't ever. Well, I it love... didn't stop you tucking into David I mean, Cameron's still very... portion. I mean, that was very nice. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm slightly sort of I've been screwed up my childhood in that way. I kind of prefer corn to to meat. Wow. Um, but you still eat meat. I still eat meat, but often I'll be like, "Shall I have a?" So why did, you fall, why did you fall off the wagon? Um, it you just were raised of, a vegetarian. I was raised a vegetarian, and then I think my, my kind of the uh, the very um, stern principles that my father had started his life with began to fade as he got older, and he moved from the Guardian to the Telegraph, and the vegetarianism was left behind <laughs> as he made the, as he made that political journey. <laughs> yeah, and I, I suppose the the, the there's, I suppose if you if you just choose that that's what you like, then that's fine. It's a, it's the slightly preachy thing that. Um, yeah, and, and actually, everything is so complicated because we were on the farm uh, on Monday, India, and uh, yes, I heard. But David was talking about how people say we ought to get rid of the cows because obviously there's an environmental impact of having the mm. cows. But he uses the uh, cow muck as fertilizer for the corn, which is uh, better than mm. importing a load of mm. fertilizer which has been generated by a, a power station in Ukraine. You know, everything mm-hmm. it, basically everything is very complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more complicated than pe- most people assume it to be. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we sorted that out. Uh, James, your column. Yes. Today. Uh, the grubby truth about freedom of speech. Yes, the grubby the grubby truth. My, my Again, argu- this is another thing which people think is really straightforward, but actually is really complicated. Exa- yeah, the, uh, the classic James Wright formula, uh, as, I like, as I like to call it. Um, um, I'm just going to eat some more of this pasta. Yeah. Uh, so, so basically, my, th- my thesis was that in the aftermath of... Um, the, I mean, horrible attack on Salman Rushdie, and then followed by the slightly more... Uh, ridiculous argument over Jerry Sadowitz's um, uh, getting his a part of his anatomy that we shouldn't name on Times Radio out at a, uh, a um, performance in Edinburgh. And I was sort of putting those two incidents side by side and saying that I think we would like to think the fight for free speech is always this kind of glamorous, uncomplicated thing where you get to denounce people attacking Salman Rushdie. But unfortunately, I think most, free, most battles over free speech are grubby and a bit ridiculous and a bit stupid, and the line's never quite clear, and it's much more like having to try and defend Jerry Sadowitz's right to be offensive than it is to just denounce people who are attacking authors. And I think the best way to stick up for free speech is to remember that it's not a very clear, obvious thing, and in lots of ways it's kind of counterintuitive and weird, and that can help us uh, support it better. Uh, India, the, I thought the weirdest thing about the Jay Sadowitz case was the the the, the Pleasant said we are champions of free, which is the venue where he was on. We are champions of free speech, and then cancelled his show. And part of me thinks 
The whole point of free speech is he's free to do what he wants, but also, ultimately, if the Pleasants want to say, but that's not the sort of thing we want here, that's fine, and you can go and find someone else to do it. It just struck me as an odd thing to put on a man known for being controversial, and then when he is controversial, say we are champions of free speech. Suddenly, yeah. But not that, not that. Not that free speech. It's very um, cake and eat it, isn't it? I mean, the thing about Jerry Sadovitz is that he's been around since the 19, early 1980s, I would say, even possibly late 1970s. Nobody who has seen his act, heard him, heard of him, read a review, is in any doubt about the kind of content that you get. I mean, it's interesting, all the people, I mean, I think he should absolutely put whatever he wants in his act. And of course, he's free to offend people. But I thought James Collins was so good, because it is really murky territory. You know, you're defending, but uh, by defending free speech, which we must all, of course, do, you're defending, you know, kind of, Boony Trumpites on social media, or you're defending you're defending people who say very very difficult things. And James is quite right to say, of course, you know, when there's an obvious rallying point, such as this absolutely appalling, scandalous uh, attack on Salman Rushdie, yeah, then it's very easy. Of course, you know what the right thing to do is when it's. Um, what was that comedian who wore aviator sunglasses? He might still be around. You know, he was a huge hit on VHS and on live shows and TV. Um, Roy Chubby Brown. Roy Chubby Brown, example. yeah, yeah. That kind of humour, you know, and TV stations and radio stations wouldn't go near him. You know, of course you have to defend his right to free speech as well as the right of Salman Rushdie not to, to write what he likes without fear of terrible assault and injury. So... It's really murky, and there's one side of it that's much more appealing than the other, but they must both exist in order for the first lot to for it to be true. It's all it's tricky. Yeah, but I suppose it's it's that whole thing, James. You're right, James. This is the sort. This is this is prime Marriott material, but it's the what people think are very easy positions to take actually can be quite difficult. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. It's an I, Indy put it so well that I think in future I'm going to just ring her up, tell her my column ideas, then get her to speak them back to me. Um, well, maybe, maybe the maybe, India maybe, version is better. Why do we we could get your column moved to a Friday, and then we could just send you a transcript of our conversation on the radio? Yeah, ex yeah, I'll discuss it with India. India will speak it out for me. Yeah, make it sound much more clear and sensible than I can, and we'll put that in the newspaper. Um, this is very kind, but not at all. No, true. it's um, brilliant. Well, I'm just offended. He doesn't suggest that I'm of no help at all with this conversation. <laughs> well, you could be, you could give me some jokes. Oh, yeah, you could, just um, keep me fed. Just keep your, you keep your energy give levels up. Give me jokes up. and pasta. Yeah, jokes and pasta. Um, finally, India. Um, this I, I've struggled to get to the bottom of where this started. It's like J.K. Rowling versus Joanne Harris, the great literary b b contest of our times, possibly. This is a weird story, isn't it? It's kind of peak silly season. It started. Why did it start? It started because J.K. Rowling tweeted uh, about Salman Rushdie. Then she tweeted that she'd just got a death threat. Then Joanne Harris, the author of Chocolat, um, made a kind of sarky-sounding online survey saying authors who's had a death threat. Then somebody took exception. I mean, basically, I think there's... Um, I think authors in particular need to be really careful. And, and oh, and the whole point is that, um, what's it? Harris is the head of the Society of Authors. And now lots of people are saying she shouldn't have that job anymore. I think um, there's a difficulty with authors and to an extent journalists being online, particularly middle-aged women, actually, I find. And I should know because I used to be one. I used to do this on Twitter, where you're sitting at your desk. Writing is quite a kind of solitary thing. 
you're at your desk, you have a an idea or a thought or a question or a thing. And you think, you think, if I get up from my desk and go and ask another human being in the house, I will break my concentration and I will leave my workplace and that's no good. I know I'll go onto social media <laughs> and make the remark, ask the question, whatever. And sometimes you do it like dozens of times a day. My, my When I was on Twitter, I had to unfollow... Um, Joanne Harris because she tweeted so much and it was all so sort of demanding you know and I just think yeah I think stay off social media write more books basically <laughs> it's weird though isn't it the people who feel that they have to have an opinion on everything and I have it the opposite way about sometimes when I got over the weekend people I had a couple of people tweeted me asking me why I hadn't said anything about Salman Rushdie or in a, yeah well, yeah it's, it's bananas I'm not, it's, I'm not it's a, that nutty thing of the your, most... your, 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 you only what you think only matters if you kind of blurt it out into the yeah. Twitter sphere. Something, yeah, everyone's got to comment all on the time. Well, that's what validates yeah. it. It's really, really strange. Yeah, the, the most frightening political slogan of our time, I always think, is that thing that people sometimes say, where silence is violence, and if you're not speaking out, yeah. then that is actually, <laughs> and it's just absolutely, just everyone has to constantly oh. go to each other all the time. When actually the answer might be you're in IKEA and they didn't have a signal. <laughs> you know, yeah, didn't make exactly. a, so I've got a mouthful of games. So I'm eating this pasta. It's absolutely delicious. Pasta's a triumph. What are you making tomorrow? Um, ba, 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 uh, Theresa May's scones, which oh, when she gave no. the recipe to the Sunday Times, even they said it was a bit dry. So that's something to look yeah, forward yeah, to. Yeah, it's kind of expected, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I wasn't going to lower myself to doing uh, Boris Johnson's cheese on toast because that's just silly. Indian Night and James Marrick there, and of course you can read them both in The Times and The Sunday Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's off to the supermarket. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yeah, all this week we've been taking a look at food for Food Week. We're on a farm on Monday. We looked at food fraud and what goes in our food on Tuesday. Yesterday we spoke to some food banks. So today uh, we're looking at supermarkets where we buy our food. We've had some a look at uh, the political breakdown of supermarkets. So exclusive poll from YouGov found that uh, overall in our poll, Labour had a four-point lead, but they had an 11-point lead among Asda shoppers. 
Tories were narrowly ahead in Waitrose and Sainsbury's, with the big battleground is Tesco's, where both parties are neck and neck. But what's it? What goes on in a supermarket? How do you get make a, make sure a supermarket keeps ticking over and works, and there's the right things on the shelf? And is the cost of living crisis affecting the way that we shop? Well, earlier on this week, we had some exclusive polling showing that 39% of people had, in the last six months, put food back they'd normally have bought because they couldn't afford it. So, I've headed down uh, to a supermarket. I caught up with Richard Walker, Managing Director of Iceland, to go for a very special supermarket sweep. Here I am outside the Brixton branch of Iceland, and here is the managing director himself, Richard Walker. Good to see you. Hello, good to see you too. Well, thank you for being up. Why are we here? This is our highest taking store in the company, a thousand stores. Um, it's a very non traditional Iceland in terms of layout. We're obviously famous for frozen food, but we've only got one aisle of it in the back. This is more of a convenience location right next to a busy tube area. Um, it, there's a lot of hustle and bustle. It's always very busy. It's a very tough store to manage, but we've got an amazing team in here. It's interesting. So, what stores differ because some parts of the country like buying more frozen food than others? Absolutely, yeah. Different areas, rural, urban, uh, different demographics, different shopping habits. So, you can have uh, low basket spends, higher basket. You get stores that don't do online, stores that do. So, yeah, they're they're very different. So, what would be the difference if we were in a rural Iceland compared to a like city centre one? Uh, so if you're in, I don't know, rural Shropshire, you might have a store that takes um, 30 grand a week and 40% of its sales might be frozen food. Um, whereas a store like this might take 200 grand a week and uh, maybe 5 to 10% of its, its uh, sales would be frozen food. I presume that's because people who live in rural areas, they don't want to keep driving into town every day so they'll stock up stick stuff in the freezer as here people could be popping in a few times a week absolutely yeah uh, so lower basket spend popping in and out just getting what they need uh, when they get off the tube and go home okay let's head in then let's do, let, it. Let's, let's do it so if i i tell you what if i grab the basket let's do it i'll hold the basket and you can you can sort of i'm really interested in just like what's up what's down what are people buying what are they not buying how are you how are you seeing the sort of changing the, the way that the, you know, the average shopper's basket is changing as people adjust to the, the cost of living crisis. It's interesting for us. We're obviously a, a value-orientated retailer, so uh, clearly our value-orientated rangers are doing better. But actually, we are seeing people trading down, looking more for value, and therefore, actually, our luxury rangers are doing quite well as well because for some people, that's an entry-level product. So no one's trading up to Waitrose at the moment. Everyone's looking for the best possible value on the high street. So people who might have normally go to a more expensive supermarket might be coming to you and buying your top of the range, and then people who were going your top of the range might be coming down. So I'll tell you what, we're in yeah. fruit and veg at the moment. What's, fruit, what's up? What's down in fruit and veg? Uh, well, uh, bananas all sell uh, really well, and we've got the core staples, um, onions, carrots, etc., we're, we're, we're never the best value on produce, but because we're convenient on the high street, easy to pop into, people will get what they need. But we've not got the biggest, most extensive range. And actually, we're not the cheapest, but it's good quality. It serves a purpose. So, um, so what should we do? Should stick some bananas in the basket. Yeah, let's do it. Go let's on, then. Yeah. These are our plastic-free trial bananas, so they're wrapped in a paper band yeah. as opposed to in a plastic bag. Yeah. Um, and it's just getting consumers used to it. Yes. So pe people are used to having it in a plastic bag. That preserves shelf life a bit longer on the banana. Yeah. You see, I'm getting very geeky now on this no, conversation. Good. but um, This is exactly what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. But it does lead to higher shrinkage, which is damage of the product because it's not sort of concealed in a bag yeah. so um, we're, we're trialling this but it, it's doing fairly well and hopefully it's something we can roll out 
Okay, let's walk a bit further down this. We're now into the meat. Yeah, so this is in, interesting and highly unusual. This is a, a highly ethnic area, um, certain type of customer and demographic, and you'll see there's a lot of um, chilled chicken and there's a lot of uh, different fresh meats on sale, and that's what we lead into in this store. In other stores around the country, it might be different. Uh, we might lead in with our frozen offer uh, and our frozen staple I items. Frozen here is tucked right at the back in the last aisle, so this is quite a unique store. I mean, it is. You've got what five shelves deep and sort of a, almost a whole aisle is just chicken yeah five shelves uh, a meter a shelf so five meters of chicken yeah that's a lot of chicken it's all british as well and is that a new thing yeah it is new so our whole birds are all british but people are really looking for value so yeah. we tried all british on our fillets yeah so you, you've got um uh, boneless chicken thighs here for example that actually comes from poland we tried it all british but actually sales didn't go up customers didn't react they want the value uh, the quality is still there albeit it's not british so we switched back to polish and it's that i suppose people might think well we'll go for the nice whole british chicken for sunday lunch but in the week go for the the other stuff yeah it's about um affordability yeah, at the yeah. end of the day Right, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Sorry. Sorry, so I, know you, I don't want to interrupt you doing your shopping. That's your luxury range. That's our luxury range. Yeah, exactly. So uh, about 10% of the products we sell are, are luxury. Uh, like I said, that, that category is doing very well at the moment, surprisingly, but for the reasons I explained. Because people are sort of moving down the... Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the ladder of other supermarkets? Well, it's the best, obviously. No, but I mean, in terms of the... When you say that people are moving down, where are they coming from if people are, people are switching to you because they're trying to make their money go a bit further? Yeah, so um, the, you obviously have the big four. Um, we have a, a new fascia. It's only six, seven years old, called the Food Warehouse. It's actually the fastest-growing uh, retail yeah. fascia uh, this century. We've got 160 of those now. They're on retail parks, and they sit next to the likes of Sainsbury's. So we're seeing a lot of customers from Sainsbury's who really have uh, budgets squeezed, and they're, and they're coming and, and trialling us. It's not called Iceland, but it has Iceland products inside. And what's the, th what's the thinking behind that? Why not call it Iceland? Because they sell other stuff as well. So oh. so bigger range, uh, larger packs. It's a bit of a mix between Iceland and Costco, but oh. you don't need a, a membership card to, to get in. Well, let's move on. Let's keep, let's keep going around. Shout when you see something that we need to put in my basket. Yeah, okay, what have we got? Eggs, this is interesting. So I am a bit of an environmentalist and uh, there, there is obviously a big push to go free range. We're trying to push free range as much as we can. There is a premium for free range for obvious reasons, yeah. lower stocking density. You've got the value on caged. Um, now, I'd love to get out of caged eggs, um, but if, if you are on a very limited budget, perhaps you only have 25 quid a week to spend on food, an egg is great high quality protein and, and you can buy 10 for a, for a pound. So it's a, it's a really interesting debate. It would be lovely to sell only free range, but the reality is not everyone can afford it. And from your perspective, I suppose, if you, you go too far down that road and you, you, you bum up all the prices because of the right thing, people will drift away somewhere else and go and try and fight, you know... Yeah, it doesn't mean they'll be forced to buy the free range eggs. They'll go and find them somewhere else. No, exactly. As my, as my dad always tells me, he's from Yorkshire, no nonsense. He founded the business 50 years ago, but he often says, um, stop saving the world and get in the shops. And it is that balance yeah. between, you know, what, what sells versus what's the right thing to do. And we're always trying to walk that tightrope. Well, so what are we putting in then? Uh, free range or yeah, caged? Let's go, let's go, let's go free, free range. range. Yeah, let's do it. Stick oh, some, no, let's yeah, stick six some eggs. Yeah. Six free range eggs. Uh, six, not 12. Don't want to make your yeah. basket too. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. Yeah. Which way we go now? Let's go down bread. 
So again, our bread is amazing quality. It's not the cheapest, uh, £1.35. Um, we are now talking about introducing a, a value-orientated loaf, and that is in response to cost of living. Yeah. £1.35 is quite a lot for a loaf of bread, but we're really proud of the quality. We've invested in it. But actually, we're now looking at a 79p option, um, which, uh, which w- would serve a different purpose, but there is definitely a demand for that. And we're seeing a, a tailing off of, of some of these luxury bread items. Uh, and talking about the environment, the wall mostly in brown bags is it brown paper with a little bit of plastic a a little bit of plastic on top because plastic is fantastic you can see the product um and if it was if you couldn't see it it wouldn't sell um so what's interesting isn't it because everyone knows what a loaf of bread looks like exactly yeah people want to be able to see it before they buy it totally um but you know we're we're moving out of plastic we pledge to eliminate it it's a long journey um but actually you don't get from uh, a to z you you do it in increments and actually what we tend to do it like this is downgrade de-weight the amount of plastic in the packaging um and we do it in increments and in small steps so it doesn't come as a bit, such a shock as well when people such come in. Yeah, yeah, changes in shopping addicts. For example, fruit and veg at the front, we tried just unwrapping all of it and selling it loose. Sales dropped 25%. I've got 30,000 colleagues who rely on us for a paycheck each week. If sales drop 35%, they'll be out of a job. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got to, again, strike that balance. People, but shoppers, people are weird, aren't they? It's the same stuff. <laughs> but but I, I mean, that's just the psychology yeah, of them. You must be trying to, get, trying to predict all the time. How will people react? Because it's not always logical. Yeah, but people are weird, including me. So yeah. I'm anti-plastic. And actually in the pandemic, I quite like the sterile convenience of pre-packaged <laughs> plastic products, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, so it, it is weaning people off the plastic addiction, including supermarkets. Um, and it's a change of mindset. It doesn't happen overnight. And where we're standing right now, I mean, these aisles, they're not huge compared to, you know, giant Tesco's as well. You've got a lot packed into not very much space. Yeah, we have. So our sales per square foot, probably the highest in the industry. We have small stores, only about 5,000 square foot. They're not massive out of town, 50,000 square foot uh, supermarkets. But the other interesting thing about that is on average, our customer only lives uh, three miles from the store. So we are very much a community retailer. And in some stores, people will come between 11 and 1 because they know that such and such is on the till. They can have a nice chat um, and, and really our secret weapon is the fact that we are a community-based retailer. Yeah. We've got colleagues who serve their, their friends, their family, their neighbours. Let's get head around the corner, because I want to talk about milk. Yeah. It's a constant thing, asking a politician, how much is the price of it? They don't know the price of milk. No, I should. Do you? Go on, without looking, how much is a pint? Uh, well, now it's £1.49 for four pints, um, but it's it, as, it, a year ago, it was it was a pound. So we talk about food inflation at you know, 10 to 15%, but the reality is on staples like this, it has gone up dramatically. By the way, we're still the best value on the high street, um, but this is the reality of fuel inflation, um, uh, fertiliser shortages, um, uh, uh, you know, worker issues on farms, etc., etc. It was funny because we started the week on a farm, and we, uh, we you know, talked to farmers about all of those pressures there, fuel costs the feed costs all of that you know the fact that you know there's not as much grass because of the weather which means the cows aren't producing as much milk so milk is scarcer this is where it ends up being fed through to on the shelves and the the mad thing is that's a lost leader we make no money out of that so we're not profiteering Um, um, it's actually as a frozen food retailer this is surprising but it's our biggest selling item in the entire shop for Milk. milk milk yeah is that true of all supermarkets? That, that basically nobody makes money from milk. Uh, some do, you know, those that might take the Mickey. Obviously, we're we're uh, ethical business and um, don't don't try it away. But um, yeah, it, it's certainly such a high volume item. People don't have massive margins on milk. It's also very competitive because everyone buys it. 
I suppose it's one of those things that like, that's the last staple in the basket. We've been in the slightly chilly bit here, but we're going to go and get even colder now. You've got to go and take me into the storeroom. Yeah, you might need a jacket. I don't think that short sleeve shirt. No, gonna... I've not bought a jacket. Oh dear, oh dear. Right. Do you sell clothes? <laughs> Could be an interesting sideline, maybe. <laughs> We can go back to what happened when I went down to Iceland yesterday with the boss, Richard Walker, and he got me to do some work in the freezer. Right, so we're going into the freezer now, Richard. I've got my coat and gloves on. Yeah, he's got his T-shirt on. So, Simon, you're the store manager. You haven't even got a coat on. That's right, I'm used to the cold. 29 years of Iceland, so I'm used to the, the cold. You're well armed, unlike the boss sitting in his cosy office at age quarters. Exactly, exactly. No, he's a superstar. But uh, you're the boss, so... Um, yeah, what are we doing then? Put me to work. We're going to put some of the delivery away. So the delivery came in last night. We've worked most of the delivery. Now we're going to put the rest of it onto the shelves. Yeah. And... Uh, Obviously, it's quite cold. It is quite cold. So, go on then. Minus 19 here. Yeah, minus 19, minus 20. So, we've got a fine rest up go. So, this is burgers. Burgers. With the burgers. Right, I'll grab the burgers. Yeah. Right. This slightly takes. Yeah, that's burgers. That's burgers. Is that mine on that? That's fine. Are you happy with that, Simon? Well, that'll do for now. Finger rolls. Hot dogs. Bottom there. Hot dog rolls. On there, like that? There we are. Ready meals. Ready, ready, uh, they keep coming, aren't they? How far am I going down here? That's it on the left. We've got a blue box. It's a bit further. This is the other blue box. A bit further. Oh, right down there. Right down there. Oh, wow. That's it. Don't want to fall out. What's this? Ready meals. That's ready meals. Here. That's all ready meals together. Yeah, I'll balance that on there. Alright, it's ice cream. Ice cream. Sold quite a bit of this over the past few weeks in the nice weather. So, I bet. It's still all there. In fact, this takes me back to when. I had a Saturday job uh, selling and making ice cream. Bit of pizza. Uh, oh my god. I think you've got a knack for this. Simon, would you give him a job? Uh, no, it's too slow. Too uh, slow? <laughs> that's chicken just there. Chicken, you. chicken goes down there. A bit more chicken. A bit more chicken there. And overall as a business, although we're only in mid-August, we're starting to build stock now for Christmas. Are you? So we'll we'll start to build up and up as we get to Christmas week and for us that's you know an absolutely critical time. And given what we saw the last couple of years with run up to Christmas and shortages and deliveries and all that, is that are you sort of stocking up even more? Um, yeah, we, we are aware of the issues. So at yeah. the moment with the drought, there are low reservoirs, which is impacting drinks and yeah. there's not much water around in the market. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we've always been good at it because we're frozen first. So, yeah. you know, we've got two years shelf life and we've been, you know, we stockpile naturally because um, we can afford to keep a lot in our depots. And we've started talking now. We haven't finished clearing out no, this, this so cage, have we? Like What's this, French fries? Yeah, so we are back on that sort of gap there. Back on that gap there like that. There we are. Right. Oh, that's too big, that box. Give him the heavy one. Give him the really heavy one. Right. You ready? Oh, it's a big <laughs> thing of chicken. Oh, I don't yeah. Keep your feet on it. It's that box there, thank you. I didn't come into radio to do heavy lifting like this. It's another heavy one. Another heavy one. What's in there? Just vegetables. Just vegetables. Put that down there. Yeah. Right. Simon, we'll, we'll grant you some more hours to clean up all Thanks. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you have to issue a profits warning as a result of all the lost stock. So of my yeah, responsibilities. So we'd work for the rest of this over the course of the day. Yeah. And then tonight we get another delivery in tonight as well. Just non-stop. So throughout the day we're playing the store yeah. and keep the back area tidy, make sure we get all the products out for our customers. So our biggest products at the moment we've got 
obviously uh, pizzas yep. flying out. Uh, ice cream has been a bit crazy the past few weeks. Uh, ice is one of our biggest sellers at the moment. Yeah. Obviously with the weather. Also, ready meals are doing very well. A one pound ready meals are selling really well at the moment. And what's that, Dan? Is that people already starting to tighten their belts a bit? I think so, yeah, and a lot of our customers are used to the product being good value for money as well yeah. anyway, so they're just buying more now, Yeah. Um, and obviously they're telling their friends as well. Yeah. So now things are, a lot of our products are at £1, yeah. they're using coming to us. We've committed to holding the price of those to the end of the year, yeah, so yeah. we used to make 25% margin on our £1 lines. Now, because of the cost price increases over them, but not increasing the selling yeah. price, we're actually losing money on those couple of hundred products. But, you know, it's a commitment we've made and we're, we'll stick to it to the end of the year. Yeah. I'll be honest, I'm quite cold now. Yeah, let's get out of here. <laughs> well done, you did a good job. We're sitting here in the storeroom of the Iceland uh, in Brixton. If you're really struggling to make ends meet right now, you know, you, you know, just try to stretch your budget. Buying yourself a tub of ice cream or a bar of chocolate, that might be the one thing that you, you know, puts a smile on your face that day. You know, to, to begrudge people having something that's nice, when, you know, as part of their weekly shop. It's very easy to do that from the comfort of thinking, well, we might have to cut back on one of our holidays this year. Yeah, of course. And making value judgments yeah. on others. It, it's it's not right. Um, unfortunately, though, in a cost of living crisis, it is food that is the elastic discretionary spend. If you, you know, you, you don't have a choice about rent or council tax. And, 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 and that's the big issue. That's why we're trying to promote things like um, ethical credit, because we're, we're seeing people basically spending less on food and that means they're either driven to food banks and the absurdity of a g7 country having more food banks than branches of mcdonald's is is morally reprehensible um or just going hungry and actually for every one person that goes to a food bank eight hungry people can't access them for whatever reason and um, so we are losing customers to food banks but indeed we are also losing customers to hunger does that worry you is that why you're willing to take a sort of financial profit hit because you know the alternative because of where you are in the sort of retail landscape the if your customers can't afford to shop here it means they're probably not going to eat yeah in some instances that is that is true so it's absolutely the right thing to do for our communities uh, the customers we serve um and you know we're we're, we're proud of the initiatives that that we're doing but quite frankly we're going to work day and night to you know to to come up with all the ideas that we can until we get through this cost of living crisis it is incumbent on us it's easy to point the finger at government and anyone else but actually everyone's got to play their bit and and we're proud of the work we're doing and and that our colleagues are doing right so richard you've now got me behind the tills that's right uh hayley is here to oversee so i don't break anything I'm going to throw it at you You're very quickly. You're going to throw it at me very quickly, yeah. and I'm going to see what I can yeah. what I can scan. Come on then, let's have the meat first. There we are, lovely. The eggs. eggs. You've got to be careful of the eggs. Oh, Absolutely. I need to check to make sure they're not broken. Uh, you not? Yeah, but, well, yeah. Do you but bother you with doing down, that? Check, I have slowed down, I have slowed down. got to be fast. Oh, why is it not Time scanning? Oh, I failed on the second item. <laughs> there we go, there, there we, we are, go. there we are. Plastic free bananas. Plastic free bananas, but they have got a barcode, so I don't need to weigh those. Brioche buns, lovely. British whole chicken. A whole British chicken. Oh, oh lovely. I thought I'd chuck in, not for free, but not some free. salmon fillets. Some which salmon fillets. The freshest fish you can buy. Lovely fresh fish. There we are, look at that. And what do we do? Press OK. Good. Yeah. That's £18.95 then, please. I haven't got any money. You haven't got any money, you're like the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's alright, that was easy. Well done. 
Although I, I'm not sure if I could have done a whole big shop. I think that would have been quite stressful. Quite stressful, yeah. yeah. If someone comes in. And luckily there, there isn't there, aren't, there isn't a queue of five other customers waiting, yeah. looking yeah. at their watches. Or alcohol, and then you have to ID someone. It can be a bit stressful. If I was on the till all afternoon, how many people would you be expected to get through on the tills? It depends how busy the store is, but in terms of transaction numbers, we might have several thousand people a day. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it can really vary. But a store like this, it's a lower basket spend, but there'll be a very high volume of people coming through. So instead of a, a small number of big trolleys it's lots of people buying just a few items exactly right yeah we were talking earlier this week we had some yougov poll 39 percent of people said they'd put food back on the shelves in the last six months yeah. because they couldn't afford it it's food they'd normally have bought and that you know ultimately they get to the but they get to the checkout or they're standing there looking at the prices are you seeing that is stuff dropping out of people's baskets yeah we're seeing it we're also hearing it so um our colleagues around the country they tell us stories and those stories might be the the customer that gets to the checkout and ask the cashier to tell them when it gets to 45 quid so that they stop decanting stuff on, yeah. onto the conveyor belt and we're seeing a lot of that we're, we're seeing people really hard pressed i mean i used to worry about our customer on 25 quid a week spend on food before the cost of living crisis but now i mean it, it you know it really is um deeply concerning and also looking forward uh, with all the issues ahead uh, I, th I think it's going to get tougher so I'm, I'm, I'm worried about it and tell me a bit about what um, you've been doing to try and offset some of that because there's a lot going on in Iceland yeah there is and and um, we've always tried to sort of do the right thing we can we can perhaps have a bit more bandwidth than others because we're not publicly owned we're a private family business um, so we can take a long-term view but our, our latest initiative is actually to offer alongside a, a ethical not-for-profit lender called fair for you um, zero interest loans to our customers and um, they can borrow anything from 25 up to 75 pounds micro loans pay it back over a, a short period of time they're not harassed or chased if they fall behind they're put on flexible payment plans and that is very unusual that is very innovative and it's a collaboration between a private business um, and the charitable sector but we think it's really necessary at the moment we're doing other stuff we're tactical trading initiatives freezing the price of all one pound lines to the end of the year but also offering 10% discount to anyone over the age of 60 every Tuesday they come into the shop they just get 10% off um, we've even partnered with uh, the Rossay Foundation who are a, a pension provider to, uh, we've targeted the most vulnerable pensioners in the UK um, and we're giving them 30 pound vouchers to spend in store so a lot of unusual collaboration but we think it's the right thing to do we're also trying to support government schemes that are out there but have uh, low take up our awareness so a lot of our milk has um, healthy start voucher information on there healthy start vouchers are available to uh, struggling families around the UK but tens of millions of pounds of credit is unclaimed every year so it's a good thing it's there to have a lot of our customers should be gaining access to it and we're trying to help the government promote the scheme but you're a business you're in the business of making money are you taking presumably you're taking a financial hit to do that yeah what in the hope the the hopefully we get through these bad times and your customers stick with you that's it we're being long-term greedy quite frankly you know if if they'll stick with us in the long term if we help them uh, through struggling times you know that's the reality um and um th that is our mentality private business we can afford to think long term but we are accepting lower profits that's the reality of the world that we're in and actually i think it's incumbent on every business to do what they can for their customers at the moment well, well, I think I've had enough of doing this. It's quite stressful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Richard, thank you so much. Well Alex. done. I think I think you got the job. Well, good. It's always good to have somebody to fall back on. I'd rather be on the tills than in that freezer. Yeah. Uh, Richard Walker, Managing Director of ISIL. Thanks so much for joining us on time. Cheers, man. Thank you.
That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.